0: Get your Bibles and prepare to hear from the Lord. Brother Crow. come preach for us. Well, good evening. It's a wonderful Tuesday night crowd. Appreciate you coming out. Would you find the book of Genesis in your Bibles, please? The book of Genesis? The book of Genesis in the Word of God? Hope that's not too difficult for some of you. If it is, it's the first book of the Bible, all right? There you go. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 is where we'll be. Genesis chapter 3. Have you found it there? Genesis chapter 3. We're going to begin reading with verse 1. If you're able to stand, I would invite you to do so, and we will look at what the Bible has for us this evening. The Word of God says in verse 1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Help us, Father, as we look into this passage of scripture. Lord, we need your help tonight. And I pray that you would help us to, help us to unlock this. Lord, perhaps it's familiar to us. But Father, I think that here are some of the most important aspects of the gospel and, and Lord of all of, all of our culture and our world today. And so I pray that you would help us pray that you'd help us to understand what is here. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. When I was a boy, I used to love the Guinness Book of World Record. Have you seen that? I mean, the Guinness Book of World Record is, they're going to tell you about the biggest everything. They're going to tell you about the world's fattest man. Now, who really cares about the world's fattest man? Well, the answer to that is, if you're a fifth grade boy, you really care. Uh, How about this? The world's fastest automobile. Well, you don't care. You don't care that they won't let you drive above 55 miles an hour on the interstate. Not when you're in fifth grade. No, no, no. You want to know what the world's fastest automobile is. You want to know where the world's tallest roller coaster is. I mean, uh, I think it's in the United Arab Emirates now. I mean, who knew that the Arabs were into that kind of thing? But at any, at any rate, uh, that, that you, you want to know about those things when you're in the 5th and 6th grade. Those are just major important things. Well, uh, some time ago, I began to do a little bit of search on my own. It had been a long time since I had been in the fifth grade, but I thought, you know, I'm going to revisit this whole thing of the the Guinness Book of World Records. Now, I have um, all, all of my children are older than fifth or sixth grade, but my boys still have holdover. When my son was uh, when my son was that age, he got the 2013 Guinness Book of World Records, and I declared the boy memorized it. He can tell still tell me what the world record was back in. 2013. And the older I get, the more the question comes to my mind, son, why should I care? 2013 was a long time ago, but he still knows all those records from back in 2013. But I got to looking at things and I began to wonder, I began to wonder about some records. So I began to look at some records. I found, for example, this is a record that still stands to this day as far as I know. For example, I looked at, you ever see people do things with popsicle sticks? I wondered, what is the world's largest popsicle stick structure? That's important information, right? I mean, if you don't have that information, your life is going to be incomplete. You won't be able to go through life as a no. So I wanted to know. This is what I discovered. The world's largest popsicle stick structure was a geographical map of the nation of Thailand. Who knew? It was built in Thailand and it was completed using 840,000 popsicle sticks. Some of you kids in here wished you could have eaten those popsicles to give them the stick later. Yeah. 840,000 popsicle sticks. It was completed on December 23rd, 2011. To date, as far as I know, that is the world's largest popsicle stick uh, work of art, or whatever you want to call it, I got to thinking about some other records that there might be. I, I, I wondered. I'm, I'm a big fan of cheeseburgers. As a matter of fact, the pastor took me to a place, and we were able to meet with some friends over in uh, from Herndon, Virginia. We just had a great time. But uh, both he and I were must have been thinking the same thing because we both ordered a cheeseburger. Now, if you live in the United States of America, let me just tell you, you need to be thankful for a cheeseburger. Our former president, President Donald Trump, every time he would speak. Whenever he was done, he would then go out and get himself a cheeseburger. No wonder he was so thoroughly American. That's just the way it is. And uh, and so the, the, the cheeseburger is really good. Let me just give you a word of advice. When you're outside the United States and you're craving a cheeseburger, don't give in to the temptation. Because they're not real American cheese. Some of you have been outside the United States, haven't you? Yeah, they're not real American cheeseburgers. I got to wondering, what's the world's largest cheeseburger? Now, this is the world's largest cheeseburger that you can order from a restaurant, okay, just to qualify. Pastor, would you believe it is served in the state of Michigan? It is. It's served in the state of Michigan. It weighs 134 pounds after cooking. A hundred, I thought the cheeseburger I ate today was big. No, no, no. This one in this restaurant in the state of Michigan, in Southgate, Michigan. I don't even know where Southgate, Michigan is. But in Southgate, Michigan, you can order this off of of a menu. Now, you have to give them 48 hours notice, but you can order it off the menu. The bun for this particular hamburger weighs 50 pounds. Okay. And it measures—I don't know about these measurements—that they say it measures two feet in diameter. The whole thing, if you get the whole thing, it will cost you four hundred dollars. The world's largest cheeseburger. I—I I, like—I like to at least see it. I mean, that—that that seems kind of cool. And now, uh, you know, we could just dig it. I don't know. That's a lot. If, if we had this whole crowd, you'd have, you'd have a whole lot more than a quarter pounder. <laughs> that's just the reality. But 134 pounds after cooking. That's amazing. I then wanted to find out where and what, where was the largest pizza? That's a good thing, right? And so I began to do some research. The world's largest pizza was made in Norwood, South Africa. I had no idea. It was made in Norwood, South Africa. It was completed on December the eighth, nineteen ninety. It was hundred and twenty-two foot feet eight inches in diameter. Yeah, that's a big pizza. It weighed uh, 26,883 excuse me, eight hundred eighty-three pounds. It contained nine thousand nine hundred twenty pounds of flour. And it was a cheese pizza. It had 3,960 pounds of cheese on it. Wow. And I think they, I think they put some of the condiments on with a with a bobcat or something. I don't know, but anyway, they they didn't have any pepperoni on it, evidently, or at least the statistics that I was able to find. It did, and you know, I I like those things are just kind of whimsical and kind of nutty and all of that. But I got to ask myself one day. I got to asking myself. I wonder, what is the biggest lie that has ever been told? The word lie is used a lot in our culture today. People are accused of being a liar. They uh, they accuse uh, news people sometimes of not giving all of the facts and withholding certain uh, certain important things and uh, certainly uh, some people have been accused of falsifying things uh, when they're examined in Congress on Capitol Hill and uh, there were there were people that accused uh, presidents both current and previous of being liars and that kind of thing and people people throw that term around a lot today but a lie. Someone that deliberately speaks something that they know to be false. I wonder what the biggest lie is. I couldn't find this in any of the World Book of Records. I couldn't not. I couldn't discover this in any of the any of the things that I read online or any of the books that my sons had. I I couldn't find it there. And then I begin to ask myself, the biggest lie. How would you even measure the biggest lie? It certainly couldn't be measured in feet and inches. It certainly couldn't be ma- measured in pounds or kilograms. How would you measure the world's biggest lie? Maybe we would have to look at the impact of the lie. And by judging the impact of the lie, we could determine which lie is a greater lie. Now, my wife and I have a standing joke. It goes back many years. My wife and I have been married over 22 years. And uh, we have a standing joke. Sometimes, sometimes I go to her and I ask her the inevitable male question, Does this match? <laughs> now, Mrs. Bishop, sometimes my wife will say to me, Oh, yeah, it matches. Bah! And I'll think to myself, I think my wife just told me a lie. I think maybe I should go get a different tie. I think maybe I should do something a little bit different because I think, though my wife told me this match, I suspect she might have been lying to me. Now, that's really not a big lie because honestly, what are the consequences of me wearing something that doesn't match? I'll look like some other independent Baptist preachers that I could name, all right? Ah. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not looking at anybody. I'm not mentioning anything, but I've met some in my travels over 20 years. Okay. But there's not a whole lot of consequences to that. But you know what? We have just read the serpent lie to Eve. And the consequences of this lie have never stopped tormenting this world to this day. Now, I want us to understand this lie because I think there's some misunderstanding about it. I'd like us to look at it, though. I'd like us to look at it in a few ways. Number one, I'd like us to consider the source of the lie. Now, we've read it. The Bible makes it very plain. The Scripture says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. I'm in verse 1. And he said unto the woman, So the source of this lie was the serpent. Now, the serpent is a, we we understand a serpent is a snake, we understand that. But somehow, and I can't explain it all, and I don't have all of the answers to this, but somehow Satan had used this animal, this snake that God originally created. Understand, originally the snake was good. You say Brother Paul, I don't think snakes are good well I kind of share that but originally when God made them they were the Bible says God looked over all his creation and everything was very good several years ago I was uh, coming through North Carolina I happened to stop at a rest area on the in the drive and I was just uh singing the praises of God and whistling and just kind of moving right along to the to the inward beat of uh, of, a, of a hymn or something that's a little bit fast paced and all that I came around the corner and there stretched out in the grass was a black snake over six feet Long, so I'm coming around, coming around the corner. Bah! Whoa! What was that? It scared me to death. Now I don't mind snakes as long as they're there and I'm here. Okay, but uh, man, I don't like to be surprised by snakes. So you and I, you don't, you and I probably don't think of snakes as now inevitably there are people that say, "Well, brother Paul." If it weren't for snakes, the rodent population would just explode. And I, I'm sure that's all true and all, and all that. But uh, just so long as the snake is there and I can be here, I'm really good with that. But the Bible says that originally all of God's creation was good. But here in Genesis chapter 3, somehow I can't explain it. I don't have all the answers. But somehow this serpent doesn't represent just another one of God's creatures. This serpent represents Satan himself. And the Bible tells us this, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3, But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. The Bible says uh, the word subtlety there, that the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, the word subtlety means willing to do anything. It means having skill in achieving one's ends by deceit or evasion. What does it mean? It means Satan doesn't play by the rules. Young people, are you listening? You've got your hearing aids up. You're listening right now. Satan doesn't play by the rules. Inevitably, some boy or girl will be playing out on the, out on the playground and you'll hear this. That's not fair. You're cheating. Oh, boys and girls, don't like people who cheat in the game. Uh, teenagers don't like people who cheat in the game, and uh, we understand all of those things. But can I tell you something? You've never seen a cheater like Satan. He is endeavoring and trying to trick and to deceive, and there is no move that is not on his on uh, on his plate to use against you to destroy you. The Bible says it was through his subtlety that the serpent beguiled Eve, and the Apostle Paul says, "I am afraid that that same subtlety." might corrupt you from the simplicity that is in Christ. First Peter 5 and verse 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour, the Bible says. Uh, it, It astounds me that we think that we can just live in the flesh and we think that we can just open up our minds to anything and everything that's out there, not realizing that there is a real devil. He does not want to help you. He wants to destroy you, the Bible says. Sometimes people come to me and they say, Brother Paul, why would Satan be after me? I'd like to answer that if I may. Satan hates God. We understand that, right? Satan hates God. We also understand tonight that Satan is not as powerful as God. We understand that as well, right? Amen. So, if Satan would strike out at God, he must strike out at what God Loves. Does that make sense? You've met people like that maybe. Just hateful people. They find out that somebody loves something and what do they do? They destroy it just out of meanness. That's, that's Satan. That's why he's after you tonight. That's why he's after me. That's why he came to Adam and Eve and that's why he told this horrible lie. So the source of the lie is, is, is Satan. The Bible says, uh, that there's, there's the setting of the lie as well. Notice, the Bible says that the serpent was more subtle than a beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said, notice this, unto the woman. The setting of the lie is interesting because Satan deliberately targeted Eve. Why is that significant? Well, technically, when God gave the instructions regarding the tree of the knowledge of good and evil... He gave the instructions to Adam, and it was Adam who in his turn gave those instructions to Eve. But can I tell you that just as a pattern for the way Satan has been working ever since? Children, teenagers, can I have you to understand tonight? Satan's going to come to you. Is he going to come to your parents? Yeah, he's going to come to your parents, but he's going to come to you. Because he's going to try to circumvent the God-ordained authority that God has put in your life. Ma'am, you're married, Your hu- the husband is to be the head of the home, expect Satan to come to you, expect him to torment you, expect him to tempt you. Why? Because that's the kind of person he is. He came to the woman, he could have gone to Adam, I don't know why he didn't go to Adam. I imagine maybe Adam would have looked at him and said, no, I was there when God said in Genesis 2 and verse 16, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it for in the day thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die maybe adam would have given him the word of god maybe adam would have told him because adam was there but adam was, uh, uh, was asked by god to pass this message on to eve that's what the bible indicates and so instead of going to adam instead of going to the head of that home the here is satan he's trying to come in under the radar he's trying to circumvent what god has put into place now I want to tell you something. That's the way Satan has been working ever since the beginning of time. He's gonna, he's gonna, he has ways of getting at your pastor. Make no mistake. But if he wants to destroy this church, he's gonna try to make an end run around the pastor and come to you as a church member. If he wants to destroy your family, he's gonna make an end run around the father and come to the wife or come to the children. That's just the kind of person he is. The Bible says that uh, the setting of the line. He decided, I'm not gonna go to the man. I'm gonna go directly to the woman. Watch out. But now, let's get down to the substance of the lie. The source of the lie is Satan. The setting of the lie, he came to the woman instead of to the man. But what was the substance of the lie? And For that, I would like us to look at the text very, very carefully. The Bible says, he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman, the woman said unto the serpent, No, 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 no! you got it wrong, Satan. We we may eat. We we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Now, there are a lot of theologians that want to get all bent out of shape. They want to say, Well, Eve changed the word of God. I don't know that Eve ever heard God say, that, I think maybe Adam was just coming to her and say, Eve, we're not going to eat of this uh, fruit, and I tell you what, let's just make it a, as a rule, we're not even going to touch it, because if we don't ever touch it, we won't ever eat it, so I, I don't blame Eve so much, you can disagree with me if you like, and uh, that's fine, but the Bible says, uh, the Bible says in verse 4, here we go, here's the lie, Are we ready, this is the substance of the lie, and the serpent said to the woman, ye shall not surely die, Whoa. True or false? False! Absolutely it's false. Now, I want you to understand, here, here the serpent has come and he has deliberately, he has deliberately misled, he has deliberately lied, he has deliberately contradicted the truth, and now he's gotta offer some kind of explanation. So listen to what the explanation is. Notice verse five. Four. So we're explaining now. Satan is explaining. He said, No, 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 no. God, God told you that you're gonna die. Ye shall not surely die. And this is why I say that for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened. Do you see that? Now watch it carefully. And ye shall be as gods, knowing. Good and evil. Now are we thinking tonight? It's been a long day, you've had to fight traffic. I understand all of those things, but are you thinking tonight? God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now, let's just answer some questions here tonight. First of all, does it seem to you that the serpent is trying to accuse God? Does it seem that like that's what's going on in your mind? That's certainly what it seems to me. Satan is accusing God. I'll tell you what, Eve, you're not going to die if you eat this because, if I may put it in, in a little bit more modern English, God's holding out on you. God's holding out. God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now, the, the core of this, the substance of this lie, is all found, the rationale is all found in verse 5. Notice the words here. Your eyes shall be opened. What was What was the serpent saying? Something has been held back from you. And if you disobey God, then all of that, you will finally be free by disobeying God. Does any of this sound familiar? Does any of this sound familiar? Now watch this. We're still in verse 5. Notice carefully. The Bible says, your eyes shall be opened. And then notice this. Ye shall be as gods. Wow. What a statement to make. Let's think through this tonight. Here is Eve being told, if you eat of this fruit, ye shall be as gods. Answer me this, would you please? How many gods did Eve know about? Just one. Eve didn't know about Baal, did she? Had no idea. She had no idea about Ashtoreth. She didn't know about uh, Kemosh or uh, Milcom or, uh, you know, just, just name all of the gods. She didn't know about Zeus or Apollo or all the... She didn't know about all of those gods. None of those gods had been invented. So here is Satan coming to her and saying, Ye shall be as the one true God of heaven. Are you thinking with me now? This is the lie. This is the lie. Ye shall be as gods, and then notice the next word, knowing. Ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. So, Eve only knew one God, that was the Creator. Satan was not telling Eve that she could become a Creator, where He spake and it was done, where He commanded and it stood fast. No, you'll not be like God in that. That's not what Satan was promising. Satan was promising, you will be like God in one particular way. You will be like God in that you will have the ability to know what is good and what is evil. All right, we've already established Eve knew one and only one God. All right, let me ask you this. How did the God that Eve knew, how did he determine what was good and what was evil? I just answered my own question. How did he know what was good and what was evil? Did not God determine what was good and what was evil? When God created, you know what he did? He said, that's good. And you know what? It was good when uh, when he had the tree of knowledge of good and evil he came to adam and he said adam don't eat of that tree because that's bad why did god know that that was bad because he's god he can determine what is good and what is evil now i want i want you to hear what the biggest lie in all the world is and i want you to i want you to answer me and see if it's not still being repeated today thousands of years later satan was saying to eve eve By disobeying God, you will be able to be a God unto yourself in that you will be able to decide what is right and what is wrong. I want to ask you something. Do we see that happening today? I can decide for myself what is right and what is wrong. You ever, tried to, you ever tried to give people the word of God and they, and they just kind of turn their ears away and, turn, and maybe turn on you and are maybe rude and unkind? Why? Because somewhere along the line they've decided the Bible's not going to tell me what's right and what is wrong. I will decide for myself what is right and what is wrong. That's nothing new. It's nothing new at all. We've been encountering this ever since Satan slithered down the tree to talk to Eve. That's the substance of the lie. And Eve was being offered the opportunity to decide for herself what is right and what is wrong. What is good and what is evil. You'll be able to know, Satan says. You'll be like God in the sense that when he decides it's good, it is good. And when he decides it's evil, it's evil, it is evil. And you, if you disobey God, you will be able to make this determination for yourself. Oh, listen, all over this country today, there are, and sadly, sad to say, even in our churches, there are people who who want to come and they want to sit in the pastor's office and they want to say to him, Pastor, who are you to tell me that this is wrong? It feels right to me and I'm going to just go ahead and do it. Can I tell you something? You've fallen for the lie, the biggest lie in all of the world. When Satan came to Eve and said, you can be like God. You can decide for yourself what is right and what is wrong. We've seen the source of the lie. We've seen the setting of the lie. We've noted the substance of the lie. I want you to notice there's suffering because of the lie. Follow follow in the text, if you would, beginning in verse 6. The Bible says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat. And gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened. And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. They heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the voice, uh, hid themselves amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Verse 10. And he said, I, I heard thy voice in the garden, and, and I, I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree? Where have I commanded thee that thou shouldst not eat? And the man said, the, the, the woman, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the, of the fruit and I did eat. She gave me the tree and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, what is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It, that is the seed of the woman, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now watch verse 16. A lot of times we get the idea, I can decide for myself what's right and what is wrong, and nobody's affected by it. That's never true. It wasn't true here. And it won't be true in your life and it won't be true in mine. Notice what the Bible says. We're in verse 16. Under the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow shalt thou bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Can I tell you, as we look at the suffering because of this lie, we find out here is a woman that uh, that just believed Satan, chose not to believe God, chose to believe the lie of Satan. And, And then Adam, the Bible says Adam wasn't deceived. Eve was deceived, but Adam wasn't deceived. He saw through the whole thing and yet the bible says when eve handed the fruit to him he was right there with her when eve handed the fruit to him he took the fruit and he ate just like his wife had just eaten i don't understand that but that's what they did ladies and gentlemen and the bible says when they decided i'm not going to obey god i'm rather going to listen to the lie of satan i'm going to decide that i can decide for myself what is right and what is wrong there were some consequences number one there's the suffering of sorrow Notice what he says in verse 16 again. Under the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. I don't know of a greater time of joy than when a little baby is born into the world. Nobody can resist a little baby. And you see the little baby and you can't walk past him in the restaurant. you got to stop. Oh! and he's so little, or she is so little, and they'd make the goofiest little faces, and they do the funniest little things with their feet, and you know, they'll be sitting all of a sudden, what was that all about? It's just a baby thing. Who knows what's going on? But that's what they do. Or maybe they do it with their feet. Maybe they just kind of, well, bam! some of you ladies think, yeah, you ought to feel them in the womb when they do that all night long when we finally get still. But the, there's something about a baby. It's precious. It's wonderful. It's, 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 it's just, it just melts our heart. But the Bible says because of this sin, because of believing the lie of Satan, what ought to be a wonderful, beautiful time is going to be intermingled with sorrow. And the sorrow that accompanies, uh, that accompanies childbirth, it's part of the curse of sin. It's part of the suffering because of the Listen, every time you and I give in to Satan's lie and say, I can decide for myself what's right and what's wrong. You understand, there will be suffering in your life as well. There's going to be suffering. And so the Bible says, there is the suffering of sorrow. Notice, the Bible says, we're still in verse 16. I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception in sorrow, shalt thou bring forth children. And then the Bible says, And thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule. Over thee. I haven't met the woman yet who likes talking about the fact that her man is going to rule over her. Now, maybe there are some somewhere. I don't know. I haven't met any of them. The average woman says, rule? You're going to rule over me. But there, there is a subservience here god didn't design it that way but it's there because of sin and for the rest of eve's life which lasted hundreds of years by the way there was there was a there was a friction in relationships that god had never intended there was something there that God had not designed in the very beginning. In the very beginning, the Bible says that a deep sleep fell upon Adam. And what happened? The Bible says that God took a rib. And the Bible says that out of that rib, God made and help meet for him. It's not one phrase. It's not help me. Alright? It is a help that is fitting. It is a help that is appropriate. That was God's original design. This woman is going to be a help to her husband as long as they both live. That's going to be a wonderful thing. It's going to be a beautiful thing. And now there's going to be a godly seed come from them that'll that'll serve me and walk with me in the cool of the garden. That was God's plan all along. But when Adam and Eve decided, no, I'm not going to pay attention to that. I'm going to pay attention to the lie of Satan. What happened? All of a sudden, there's suffering, and they're suffering because of sorrow and childbearing. They're suffering because of a subservience in the marital relationship. The Bible says it's, the problem is He's going to rule over thee. Now, whether, whether you like it or not, and I'm not saying that's necessarily a right thing, I'm just saying, men, we men have a desire to conquer. Now, there's nothing wrong with a desire to conquer as long as that desire is made subservient to the Spirit of God. Now, let's be balanced here. I see a rabbit running by. We're fixing to shoot it, preacher. We're in the midst of a society today that wants to make boys into sissies. Okay? Now, ma'am, every now and again, your boy needs to get out of the house and he needs to just beat up some other boy. That's right. If you teach elementary school today, they wanna they want to demonize. Well, that boy was fighting on the playground. Well, I hope so. I hope so. I hope his first instinct is not to go tattle to the teacher when there's something that needs to be figured out. And you say, Well, I don't know. I don't think they ought to be fighting. Well, if no bone is broken, if just skin is broken, ah, you know, I don't I let it go a little bit. You say, brother Paul, uh, what will their parents think? Well, their parents need to learn a lesson too. But boys need to be allowed to be boys. Amen. And some of you ladies, you may have you may have a husband, and he likes to go fishing in the Rappahannock River. He gets that smallmouth bass, he catches that smallmouth bass, he holds it up, takes a picture of it, and then he does what for you is the unthinkable. He puts that smallmouth bass right back in the river. And you say to yourself, what? You caught the fish, and then you released the fish. What's that all about? Can I explain it to you tonight? That's all about that man's desire to conquer. He doesn't want to destroy the fish, but just for a few seconds he conquered it. And now everything's fine. Now I'm going to put it right back. That's, that's what's going on. Why do men... I, 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 I'm a fisherman, sort of. Not anything like my dad. But I like to go out and hunt. I had to kill a buck in self-defense last year. <laughs> he would have closed that 44 yards and climbed up the tree where I was if I hadn't taken him first. <laughs> Somebody says, wow, well, you can get meat by going to the store just as easily. Yeah, you can you can but there's something about brother frank getting out there in the early morning hours and uh, and finding the patterns and find... it's conquest it's conquest now god made every man a little bit different every man has his own means of conquest but ladies when your little boy is growing up let him be a conqueror in his own right let him find something that he can conquer. Let him find something that he can master. Some master machines that men have made. Some go out and master nature that God has made. Some do all kinds of other things. Listen, you let that boy be a conqueror. But listen, that boy's uh, 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 desire to conquer must be kept under the control of the Holy Spirit of God or it leads to trouble. That's exactly what God is describing here. We're talking about suffering because of the lie. There's sorrow, there's subservience. Then he begins to speak to the man in verse 17. And to Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of the which I, com- I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee and thou shalt eat the herb of the field notice verse 19 in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground for out of it wast thou taken for dust thou art and unto dust shalt thou return we're talking about the suffering because of the lie their sorrow their subservience number three their sweat what is he saying All the time, ever since man was first created, God created man to have a task to perform. Okay, So work is not a curse of sin. But, hear me, toil and frustration in that work is part of the curse of sin. Man was always intended to keep the garden. That wasn't the problem. After man sinned though, as he tended the garden and he's trying to get potatoes or he's trying to get green beans, there are thistles coming up. And there are weeds coming up. And there are thorns coming up. And the man looks at himself and says, wait a minute, I didn't plant that there. Well, you didn't plant that there, but it came about as a result of sin. That's what God is saying. Hey, do we live with that today? Absolutely. Why is it that there are two jobs in the United States of America for every available employee today? Why is that? Because the employees had a chance to sit back and say, you know what? The government's going to pay me to sit at the house and I don't have to work for a spell. And that spell got longer and longer and longer and directly they decided, I don't know that I want to go back to work because it's hard. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard because one day some, somewhere Satan convinced somebody to believe his lie. And I'm going to tell you this, Satan is he's multiplying that lie in all kinds of different ways, but it's the same lie at the, very, at the very base of it all. And I'll tell you this, when you believe Satan's lie today, you can just expect your life to get harder. That's what the Bible says when it says the way of the transgressor is hard. You can can take God's law, you can take God's Bible, and you can just ignore it. You can say, well, I don't know. I don't care what the Bible says. This is what I want and this is what I'm going to have. You, You can decide to do that, but just expect your life to get a whole lot harder. There's sorrow. There's subservience. There's sweat. I want you to notice verse 20. The Bible says, Adam called his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living. Verse 21, unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins. There's another suffering and that's the suffering of shame. I want to be careful here. Before there was sin, the Bible says both Adam and his, and his wife were naked but there was no shame. But after sin came shame. Guilt is an awful thing, Pastor. It's an awful thing and i have seen the effects of guilt turn someone into another person you think why they didn't they never used to be that way it never used to be that way in their life what's going on now it's the effects of guilt it's the effects of shame sin always brings shame and it did here in this passage of scripture as well the bible says there's going to be sorrow you have decided to obey the serpent you have decided to to hearken unto the serpent you've you've decided to act on the basis of his lie there's some suffering involved I want you to notice the final aspect of suffering. The Bible says in verse 22, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man. And he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. There's suffering because of this lie. The suffering of sorrow, the suffering of subservience, the suffering of sweat, the suffering of shame, and fifth and finally, the suffering of separation. Separation. The Bible says that God made this garden. And maybe you enjoy gardening. I've never been a gardener. As it turns out, it's hard to keep a garden when you're gone most of the time. The weeds just kind of take over. My poor daughter Esther, she would love to have a flower garden in the backyard. Whenever she's home, she works at it, but it's always a losing proposition. You can't be away from your garden for six months at a time and expect it to come back and look beautiful. It just doesn't happen that way. But God's garden was beautiful, it was the Garden of Eden. It was lovely. It was perfect. It had fruit trees of all different kinds and uh, all different varieties. There were were vegetables to be eaten. I mean, everything was in perfect balance. That was God's garden. And yet, in that garden was a tree called the tree of life. When you ate of that tree, you would live and you would live and you would live and you would live forever. The Bible talks about the tree of life in the New Jerusalem. That's the kind of thing that God has, has prepared for mankind. And one day all that's going to be gone, but here God says, wait a minute, we can't have man living forever in this in this sinful condition. And so there became a separation from that beautiful place that God had prepared for man. There was a separation between man and that beautiful place. Can I tell you something? Sin has always been separating us from a holy God, ever since, Amen. ever since. And the truth is I may be preaching to somebody here tonight and you may be here and, you, and, and, and the, devil's been, the devil's been dangling some things in front of you just like Satan came to Eve. The devil has been saying, you know what? You don't have to, you don't have to pay attention to the things this church is telling you. And you've grown up in this home, but you know what? As soon as you get out, you don't have to pay any attention to that anymore. You can decide for yourself what is right. And you can decide for yourself what is wrong. You can be just like God. Oh, you won't quite be as powerful as He is, but you'll be able to determine what is right and what is wrong. Just understand. It'll lead to suffering. It'll lead to sorrow, subservience, sweat, shame, and separation. But you know, as we look very carefully in this passage of Scripture, go back to verse 15. We've read it already, but notice what it says. The Bible says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. God is addressing Satan. I will put enmity between thee, Satan, and the woman, and between thy seed, Satan, and her seed. It, her seed, shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, there's a lot of things going on in this verse. First of all, there is no seed in a woman. But the Bible speaks of the seed of the woman here. What does he mean? Well, Adam didn't know what he meant, and Eve didn't know what he meant exactly. But in process of time, we've come to understand the seed of the woman is none other than Jesus Christ. He was the seed of the woman because he was born of a virgin. The Bible says that Adam knew not his wife until she had brought forth her firstborn son. It tells us that very plainly in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 1. What does that mean? That means that Jesus Christ was the miraculous fulfillment of a promise that went back thousands of years to the Garden of Eden. That's what it means. And I'll tell you what else it means. It means that God had a plan all along to undo the power of the world's greatest lie. My friend, that that power is still available today. We understand that all throughout the Old Testament, they, they knew that they were sinners. They were reminded that they were sinners. Every morning and every evening, they were required by the Old Testament law to bring a lamb and to sacrifice that lamb and to take the blood of that lamb and spr- sprinkle it on the altar. Every time you would go by the tabernacle, you would hear the last dying bleats of an innocent little lamb and you would think, oh, that's so awful. And then someone would remind you that's only because our sin is awful. And a lamb must pay for our sin. Hundreds of years that took place. Hundreds of years they, were, they they did it. They did it for a long time in the tabernacle and then a temple was built. They did it in the temple. I can't imagine the smell that must have been in the temple if you've ever been around a uh, butchering and all that there's just a distinct smell it happens when the when when the when the flesh is burned it happens when the animal dies it just there's just an odor that you cannot ever really get away from And every time they would go past the temple, yes, it was beautiful. Yes, it was ornate. Yes, it was absolutely magnificent. But there was always an odor that reminded them of death. There was always a savor that reminded them that there is sin that must be covered. And in order for it to be covered, that lamb has to give his life. That lamb has to die. But it has to die because I'm a sinner. For hundreds of years that took place. Eventually the Chaldeans came in and they destroyed the temple. Now there was no more temple. And from that time, and, and well really from that time until the temple was rebuilt, before the days of Jesus Christ, the Jews had no temple. They had a temple for a brief period of time during the days that Jesus was on this earth. But it wasn't long after Jesus was crucified that that temple was destroyed and that temple has never been replaced. There's talk about building a new Jewish temple, but they have no temple now. They have no sacrifice, and so you say, brother Paul, if there's no longer a blood sacrifice to be offered, how do we know? How do we know what is what is to cover sin today? I'm glad you asked. Many years ago, a country preacher was out preaching by the river. He's preaching by the river because there was much water there, and he baptized people. He immersed people, and as he was preaching away one day. He stopped because coming down the bank of the river was a man. And in his message, he addressed the crowd and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. There wasn't a sheep over there, it was a man. People were there, they thought, well, I'm not really sure, but I think the preacher just called that a lamb. But that's not a lamb. That's a man. It's a man coming down. It wasn't long before the man submitted himself to John to be baptized. And John, at first, he objected. I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And the man said, Suffer to be so now, to fulfill all righteousness. And with that, this lamb of God, whoever this guy was, was put under the water and then brought up from underneath the water and all of a sudden a dove came down and a voice out of heaven said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Wow. Imagine being in that service down by the river that day. But the Lamb of God was being introduced to you and to me. That lamb of God, having been born of a virgin, having been identified by John the Baptist, went about doing good and helping all that was, a, all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. That was the testimony of somebody that was there, a man by the name of Simon Peter. And that man one day was taken out of the place of prayer, and he was uh, taken to a trial in the middle of the night. Then he was taken to the Romans for trial. The Romans found him innocent and brought the gavel down and said, we're gonna kill him anyway. And so Jesus Christ went out, and he hung on the cross of Calvary. What was he doing? Well, there, as he hung on the cross of Calvary, the blood freely flowed from his body, reminiscent of the blood of the lamb. That as the lamb would be uh, as the lamb would be slain before the altar, so the blood flowed from Jesus' body, flowed from his head, flowed from his hands, flowed from his feet. Eventually, flowed from his side, flowed from his back. It was all there. The blood was shed, and there the Lord Jesus hung on the cross of Calvary. There, it was, it was far greater torture for Jesus than the, than the lamb dying. It was far greater for the Lord Jesus than any of the other lambs that they had ever brought. And yet, here he was. What was going on? All kinds of things happened. Uh, Unusual things happened. While he was hanging there on the cross, uh, they, 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 they heard him say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? They heard him say, and they heard him say other things there on the cross. And finally, as he hung there, he lifted up his voice and his, with, with his weakened body as loudly as he could. He said, it is finished. And then weakly, he said, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And with that, Jesus died. Can I just tell you tonight, they took Jesus' dead body off the cross. They laid him in a tomb. You say, why is that important? Because you only bury dead people. That's why. He was dead. The gospel is that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture and that he was buried. But then three days later, he rose again from the dead. And then after that, he was seen. He was seen. He was seen by Peter. Then he was seen by the, the 12 apostles. Then he was seen by above 500 brethren at once. And last of all, he was seen to the apostle Paul as one born out of due time. That's what the book of 1 Corinthians 15 says. Is, and what, is, what does that mean for you and for me? That means this. If you are here tonight and you have never accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, that means you can be saved tonight. That's what that means. Because everything necessary to undo the heavenly consequences of your believing that lie everything that is necessary to undo those consequences has been done for you. Jesus has taken your place on the cross of Calvary. And if you accept Him as Savior tonight, you can be saved. Your record in heaven of sin will be taken out and it will be discarded. And God will take a new record, the record of Jesus' perfect righteousness, and He'll put that record on your file. And the, the impact of sin, as far as heaven is concerned, can be erased. Amen. But let me tell you tonight, whether you're saved or whether you're lost, Satan is still going to come to you with that same lie. You can decide for yourself. Nobody can tell you what to do. You can decide for yourself what is right. And what is wrong? Don't fall for the, ba- the biggest lie in all the world. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to look into your word. Lord, I pray that you would work in hearts tonight. I have no idea who all is here. But I pray that we would be submissive to the work of your Holy Spirit. Just now every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Let me say this. If you're here today and you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, would you be willing to give testimony to that fact tonight? Who here would say, that's me, Brother Paul. I know Christ is my Savior. If I were to die tonight, I could give you a Bible reason why I know I'm saved. If that's you, just put up your hand real high. Would you do that, please? Just put it up. Thank you. You can put those down. Now, there were many that raised the hand. I'm so grateful for that. But there were some of you here, you didn't raise your hand. It may be that you didn't understand the question that I had to ask. That's fine. But it may also be that, as you sit here, you're not sure that you're saved. I suppose if I were to highlight the truth that I was trying to get across this evening, it is this, the reality that we're all sinners. The reality that for every one of us, we have decided for ourselves what is right and what is wrong just like Eve did in the Garden of Eden. And can I tell you, if you've ever, like Eve, decided that something is okay, that God said is wrong, you're a sinner. That's the bad news. The good news is Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's the good news. And if you're here tonight, you didn't raise your hand just a moment ago, you're not sure that you're saved. In a moment, you're going to hear someone play a song of invitation on the piano. If you're here and you're not sure that you're saved, we would like to help you. We're not going to ask you to give any money or we're not going to ask you to join the church. We're not going to ask you to do anything like that. We're just going to have someone sit down with you and take a Bible and show you what it means to be saved. That's one of the, that's one of the reasons we have a meeting like this. We want you to know Christ as Savior. If you're here tonight, we'd like to help you. Now, child of God, this is the kind of message that I think is important for Christians as well. It would be easy for someone sitting here to say, Oh, that's okay. I know that I'm saved. I've gotten that taken care of. But I want you to understand that on a daily basis, you are bombarded with the lie of Satan that says, Even though you're saved, you can decide for yourself what is right and what is wrong. Now Satan can't have your soul if you've been saved. But he can sure have your testimony. And he can sure destroy your life and understand the suffering that comes from believing the lie. Still exists on this earth. and It'll exist for you if you, you, even as a saved person, believe the lie of Satan. In a moment, we're going to stand to our feet. God has spoken to your heart. You just come. It's a difficult invitation to give, but I I do want to ask one final question. Would there be someone sitting here and you'd say, Brother Paul, I'll just be honest with you. I'm not sure I'm saved. Would you pray for me? If you're here tonight and there's a question in your mind about your salvation, would you just slip your hand up right now? Let me see it and pray for you. Who Who would do that tonight? That describes you. Just put it up. Hold it up for a moment. I'll see it and I'll pray for you. Anybody like that this evening? All right, may we stand to our feet, please. Everyone standing this evening. Our Father in heaven, I pray that you would work in our hearts. Lord, you, you know what, what is going on in the hearts of people. I can see the outside, Father, but you can see the inside. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that, that you would help us. I pray that as we go from this place tonight, Lord, in the days and weeks to come, that we would be able to recognize when Satan is giving us a choice. Will I decide for myself what is right or what is wrong? Or will I take God at his word. Help us, we pray, and work in this invitation, in Jesus' name. Amen. The pianist is playing right now. As God has spoken to your heart, you slip out.